listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening and welcome to the October 5th edition of Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.05 and I'm your host, John Boyer. On tonight's program, we have many of your favorite segments on the way coming up during this hour. But we begin with fall break. It begins tomorrow. And our correspondent, Mason Morris, went out to talk to some of you to see what you'll be up to. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around NC State and the rest of the Triangle. After one and a half months of sweltering heat, fall is upon us. Temperatures have dropped and the leaves are preparing to change. The new weather marks the seasonal transition, but more importantly, it brings with it a break from classes. NC State will officially be on fall break from Thursday through Sunday. I ventured out to campus to find what NC State students are planning for their four-day holiday. My name is Kate Southard, and I'm in first-year college. I'm going home to catch up on sleep. Do you plan on taking any books or schoolwork with you? Possibly. Just homework to catch up on. Most of my friends, their fall breaks are a different time, so. I'm Margaret. I'm undecided in terms of majors. I'm a freshman. I was going to go home and hang out with some friends, even though I live in Raleigh normally, and maybe go up to Boone. And are you planning on doing any studying or schoolwork? That's a negatory. My name's Andrew Cutchen. I'm a business major. Fall break, I'm probably going to go see my girlfriend in Greensboro and longboard around their campus. And are you planning on taking any books home with you? Absolutely not. <laughs> so far, no tests this week. I had two weeks of steady tests uh, the past two weeks before fall break, so I think I'm exhausted. My name's Devin Smiley, and I'm a business major. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware, so I'm flying home. I'm going to see my boyfriend and my family, all my friends from high school. Since it's getting kind of cold, it's not really beach weather. <laughs> Do you have plans to study at all? No. No, I'm not even bringing my books home. Hey, my name's Tom Turner. I'm a senior studying biochemistry at NC State. Hey, my name's Aldo Jimenez. I'm a freshman studying biology. Me and my friend here, who happens to be high off of caffeine, we're going to go camping along with Tom, too. It's somewhere uh, in Raleigh. Forest. Uh, Wake Forest? Okay, yeah, it's in Wake Forest. I'm gonna go, it's going to be about a lake. We're going to go kayaking, build like seven-foot fires, and just have a bunch of fun. Lots of s'mores. Yeah. I've been backpacking through the gorge before, but I've never actually just been camping with some friends. Are you going to be doing any homework? Oh, heck no. Nah, probably not. I'm Jordan Adams, and I'm a freshman in international studies. I will be going with the Outdoor Adventures group here at State to Roan Mountain, Tennessee for a backpacking trip. We're heading out early Wednesday morning to get to Roan Mountain, and we will be backpacking three to five miles every day and be back at State Sunday night. I've been backpacking a few times and do a lot of hiking. Kelly Corrigan, and I'm a computer science major. What are you planning on doing for the next week during fall break? Absolutely nothing. Um, just catching up on a lot of sleep, taking a break from studying. Do you plan on doing any homework at all over the week? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. There will be no homework over my break. <laughs> my name is Lance McGee, and I'm a sophomore in biological sciences. I live in Durham. It's about 20 minutes away, but then I'm definitely coming back for the NC State Boston College game. Possibly going to the beach for maybe a day, but the main thing is just coming back for that football game. That's Will fun. you be doing any homework? No. Regardless of activity, it is clear that fall break will bring for most a period of much-needed rest and rejuvenation. In response to school-related activities, students declared a resounding... Oh, heck no. No. Not. no. Probably not. That's a negatory. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been Mason Morris. Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle. Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. 
511 unedited words. That's all it took for a staff columnist at NC State's student newspaper to send our campus's gay rights advocates into a furor. Last Tuesday, Emily Kelly penned a confused piece that was not so aptly entitled Weighing Both Sides of Gay Marriage. The nomenclature would suggest, an, would suggest an impartial analysis of two opposing arguments, but what it amounted to was little more than a hastily written hack job rife with grammatical errors. In six paragraphs of vapid rhetoric laced with factual inaccuracies and deeply convoluted reasoning, Kelly appeared to endorse several arguments against gay marriage using religious justification and citing natural law. Despite her editorial's incoherence, she unleashed the ire of campus activists and promoted a deluge of angry letters to the editor, along with a Facebook group inciting students to write them. Sure enough, the criticism elicited a response from Kelly the following Friday on the technician's website. In it, she apologized for her editorial's illogical construction and went on to write that it was an unfinished rough draft accidentally submitted two days prior to its publication. A hastily written paragraph detailing a few arguments for the motion was included in her apology in which she refers to those brief counterpoints in favor of gay gay marriage as an examination of, quote, their side, end quote. Notwithstanding that divisive pronoun, which further eschews any attempt at impartiality, her apology appears to have been written with as little care as the original piece. It ultimately falls flat. I'm bothered by the fact that this entire imbroglio is one that could have been easily avoided. What it indicates is a systemic failure in the technician's editorial hierarchy. Any responsible editor would have read Kelly's editorial, highlighted its errors and inconsistencies, and refused to publish it until it met a minimum standard of quality. Kelly claims that her piece was submitted well in advance of its publication, meaning it had plenty of time for review. If... If it is the case that our university's student newspaper simply cuts, pastes, and publishes whatever material comes its way with little to no scrutiny, our student body should find that troubling. Sloppy journalism, along with the scandals it causes, has the potential to deter many willing and capable students from involving themselves in this most important endeavor. All material referenced here may be found on the Viewpoint page of the Technician's website, located at www.technicianonline.com slash viewpoint. Again, that's www.technicianonline slash viewpoint. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. Thanks, Evan, for your editorial. And now it is time for the Community Calendar. As usual, on Wednesday, October 6, faculty and staff and students are invited to hear what our new chancellor, Randy Woodson, has to say about the budget during the Chancellor's Forum. There will be a presentation from Chancellor Woodson regarding resource strategies and the budget overview. Interim Provost Warwick Arden will discuss the 2010-2011 budget reality, and Vice Chancellor for Finance and Business will be giving an overview of the 2011-2013 budget process. The forum will be at Student Theater and the Tally Student Center beginning at 10.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. Also, tomorrow there will be an engineering fair from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the McKimmon Center. This event is open to the public. Thursday, October 7th, is the first day of fall break. So, unless you're me and you have a vicious take-home test to complete, take a load off and enjoy yourself. You get two days off. On, uh, on Saturday, October 9th at 2 p.m., the Raleigh City Museum staff will be leading a children's and families historic walking tour on and around Fayetteville Street. The 
free tour will be about one hour and is open to the public. Call 919-832-3775 to RSVP. And finally, on Monday, October 11th, on, uh, at the Caldwell Lounge, the English Club will be having a meeting at 6.30 p.m. Thanks, Chris. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. I'm John Boyer. The time is 7.13. Let's take a look at that weather forecast for you. Right now at RDU Airport, we're sitting at 61 degrees with a few clouds. Earlier today, our high temperature topped out at a nice and pleasant 69 degrees, although that's actually below our normal value for this time of year, which is 75. The low this morning was a chilly 48 and will actually be much cooler than that going into tonight. We're looking for partly cloudy skies with a low near 42. And that's for the cities. If you're listening from any of the rural outlying areas, you could see 40 degrees. So frosty mornings aren't that far off. Tomorrow will be a little warmer than today with sunny skies, a high near 71 Tomorrow night, mostly clear, a little a little warmer during the morning, low of 46. And uh, the forecast is actually kind of monotonous. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sunny. High pressure takes control, and our temperatures will also be pretty consistent, too. We're looking for a high of 79 on Thursday, 77 on Friday, 79 on Saturday, and on Sunday as well. And sunny, it looks like, going into the start of next week. So uh, we have a football game on Saturday, of course, Boston College. Football weather looking absolutely perfect. Although one thing I neglected last weekend at the Virginia Tech game was sunscreen. So with the sun out in full force once again this Saturday, maybe a good idea to try and protect your skin because I'm still looking like a lobster. All right. Well, the time is now 714. I'm going to send it back over to our friend Chris. We're going to talk to our VIP interview today. It's Lauren Morris here to talk about the Soul Garden. Right. Thanks, John. And we have Lauren Morris here in the studio uh, Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, so uh, I uh, we have um, you are here to talk about the Soul Garden today. Now, can you tell me a little about what the Soul Garden is? The Soul Garden is a student-run community garden located on Centennial Campus. It was started this past May, and it's a lot of fun so far. Right. And now, how uh, how did the idea come about originally? Um. I guess a lot of students aren't familiar with the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association. It's an awesome club on campus. And they were sitting around thinking of sustainable ideas to submit to the Think Outside the Brick competition. And it is one of the ideas that they wrote up and submitted, and it was selected. Now, um, the Think Outside the Brick competition, what exactly is that? Can you talk us a little about that? Yeah, it's a a competition started by student government to start initiatives by students on campus. Um, Last year was the first year they had it, and they're continuing it this year. So students can write up sustainable ideas and hope that the university will fund them. Now, uh, what did you kind of see as your vision uh, of what the garden would be when you started it? We thought it was really important that we have a garden that was close to campus, so there was a lot of visibility among students because we really thought that students need to see where their food is coming from and get involved with the process of getting their food um, and promoting sustainable ideas and sustainable agriculture. We just thought it was a good thing to have visible on campus. So can you tell us a little about how uh, the garden started? You know, uh, you got your funding and you took your money and you walked over to Centennial Campus on your little plot, and then what happened next? It did not exactly go like that. Um, We got our funding, and it took us a while to get a location secured because there is very little land close to on campus. So we had a lot of difficulty 
finding a location and getting it approved by the administration. But we found this beautiful location next to Lake Raleigh. I don't know if people are familiar with that area, but it's next to the disc golf course, right next to the dam. And it's absolutely beautiful, and it's great because the university can't use it because it's in a floodplain. So um, our vegetables are pretty safe from flooding, and we get to use it. So we finally jumped that hurdle. And uh, you designed it over the summer, and now it is there. Now, what um, exactly is in the garden? I write it down. Okay, so we have two beds right now. We have a twelve. We have two twelve by twenty-four foot plots, and we have turnips, kale, radishes, carrots, which just came up, pole beans, um, jalapenos. We had corn. That's done now, but it was also awesome. we made um, salsa from it, patty pan squash, pumpkins, and cilantro. Now it looks to me you have brought a little friend into the studio with us today. It looks not a bit unlike what Balloon Boy rode around in last October. Uh, I'm assuming it's a squash. Tell us about it. it. This is called a patty pan squash. I'd never even heard of it, but I Googled it. I was like, it kind of looks like a UFO. So I Googled UFO squash, and uh, it's like generic name is patty pan squash. And uh, mm-hmm. we centered out this top part and scooped out the insides and then baked it with like mushrooms and cheese and spices. It was delicious. This is going to be my dinner tonight, actually. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yes, we, uh, uh, Lauren, um, we, she selected the seeds, uh, and they simply said white squash <laughs> on the top, and we were very curious as to what come up. Um, now, talk about what uh, is left for the rest of the season as far as crops go. So everything is pretty much um, completed except for the pumpkins. I was just out there about an hour ago, and our pumpkins are huge. They really love the rain we got last last week. Um, they're huge. I'm like really excited, but it looks like the deer have been snacking on them, so we have, that's our new problem to address. But we have um, the pumpkins and the squash that will continue to grow, and then after they're done, we'll plant a cover crop for the winter. Now, uh, how have you been incorporating the community into uh, the garden itself? The community has been really responsive um, to the garden. We had a group of CSLEPS volunteers contact us and want to bring a group of Haven House kids to the garden. Um, Haven House is a nonprofit in Raleigh that caters to middle school and high school students. So the CSLEP, like a group of 20 or so CSLEPS students brought six Haven House kids, and it was a lot of fun. We um, we had wood signs painted that marked the ends of all the rows of vegetables, and we built a picnic table and a bench, and everyone was really creative, and I think they enjoyed themselves. Now, what uh, are the future plans for the Soul Garden um, we have lots of plans. I'm really excited about them. Uh, we hope to incorporate the garden into existing classes. I was recently contacted by a nutrition professor who wants to bring her class out to the garden for a community food security class. So I'm really looking forward to that because it has a lot of potential as a service learning tool in an academic setting. Um, in the like, We hope to put our cover crop in this winter and give our volunteers and people who work there a little bit of a break and put some rest back into our soil as well. And then in the spring, we'll talk to more individuals, professors, students, whoever is interested in purchasing a plot of their own and put our um, summer crop in. So uh, you said that people can purchase a plot. What what does that exactly entail? Yes. Okay. So like I said, we have right now we have two raised beds that are 12 by 24 feet. And one bed will be the sole garden bed where anyone can come and volunteer and help weed it, um, whatever they want to do. And then all of that produce will be donated to Interfaith Food Shuttle. 
And the second bed will be divided up into three by four foot plots that individuals can rent um, for $10 a season. So um, they will be responsible for taking care of their own plot. And the Soul Garden Group will be responsible for keeping the rain barrels filled and other stuff like that. So um, if you want to have your own little piece of land and you don't have access to it right now, it's a great opportunity to raise your own vegetables. Especially in my mind, you know, people that have apartments and dorms can't necessarily yeah. uh, go out and experience Mother Nature sometimes. So now you mentioned a minute ago, not to get us off track, that uh, the deer were messing with your pumpkins. Yes. Uh, what other setbacks have you faced? Um, well, one of our major setbacks was uh, in the first week of July, we were a little late in planting our second summer crop, and we really needed a way to water the garden. And so we had to purchase a gasoline-powered water pump and fireman-grade hose. I don't know the technical. It was a 200 PSI test fire hose. It, it's a pretty big About deal. 300 feet worth. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we had to purchase those. And so we run a... Um, a hose up over the dam and into Lake Raleigh and then fill up our rain barrels that way. So it takes quite a little bit of effort. And that was, um, it's kind of scary that we were planting our young little seedlings in the very hot July heat and we didn't have a way to water our garden. So luckily we were able to get the funds um, available to purchase that pump. Um, and sustainably in the future, we're hoping to have a bicycle powered pump. Maybe a mechanical engineer who's listening right now wants to build us one. Exactly. And how, oops, sorry, go ahead, John. I think we're thinking of the same thing. And uh, how would, uh, someone, uh, perhaps get in contact with, uh, the garden if they were listening and interested? That is a great question. We have a Facebook group that they can join where we'll send out updates through that. Um, they can email the account and get on our listserv. It's mail.soulgarden at gmail.com. And, um, yeah. just What is the Facebook group called? The Facebook group is Soul Garden, and it's under NC State, so it should be pretty easy to find. It's interesting. So maybe just to lighten things up, what's your favorite vegetable? Um, I think it's definitely the patty pan squash. Uh, it's... I didn't even know it existed, and now I'm cooking it all the time. It's absolutely delicious. Everyone should try it. It has a very light flavor um, and mild texture. It is quite delicious. <laughs> Interesting. It seems very fall appropriate. Yes. And Mark will be joining us after the break. Um, unfortunately, no squash recipes, but maybe that's something we can consider doing in the future. I do like a good squash morel. So, anything else on your mind? Happy growing. Absolutely. And the gardening minute will be back next week. The, exactly. Do, uh, let's, let's consider this an extended uh, look at gardening this week. But, but next week, the gardening minute will be back and better than ever, and I just can't wait. Absolutely. Sneak peek at the preview topic? Anything of that nature? It is going to be about gardening. Oh. No more specific than that, but that's you'll have to tune in and listen and find out what it is. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on. It's Thanks been a pleasure. All right, absolutely. Coming up next, after the break, as I mentioned, Mark is on the way to talk about food, and we'll be talking sports, plenty of sports to go over this evening regarding how NCSU performed on the field on Saturday and look ahead at the season and look across the ACC to see how all the other teams are facing up, and then some open discussion. Hopefully you'll, joining, uh, you'll join us with some of your feedback. We're on Twitter, WKNCEOT, and we're also on Facebook. Look for Eye on the Triangle. Hope you'll stick with us. Coming up right after the break. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
Welcome back. The time is 7.26. I'm John Boyer, and thank you for staying with us. The topic remains food, and now we switch to Mark to tell us a little about his take on the world of food this week. Much, John. Famous chef and author Anthony Bourdain recently came out with his, a new book of his called Medium Raw. Bourdain, also host of the Travel Channel show No Reservations, has spent the last 10 years of his life traveling around the world, trying to experience and reveal the importance of cuisine to cook and cooking for various cultures. Medium Raw is more or less a stream of Bourdain's witty and curious conscience, trying to sum up what it really means to cook well. Residents of the Triangle, if you're avid cooks, fans of Tony Bourdain, or interested in the bowels of the restaurant business, take note. Bourdain will be in Raleigh November 13th at the Progress Energy Center talking about his new book. Just recently, Bourdain and HarperCollins Publishing conducted an essay contest to find an upcoming foodie-slash-writer to come up with an introduction not just to the book, but its theme. What is good cooking? As a food enthusiast and, well, an amateur yet curious writer, I started to think, what the hell kind of question is that? Thank you for the clarity, Mr. Bourdain. What does it mean to cook well? That's just as, an, just as ambiguous as asking, what does it mean to be an interpretive dancer? However, after delving deeper into the question, I don't think Mr. Bourdain was looking for the straight skinny on cooking. Defining cooking well is nearly impossible, but the emotions and sentiments it provokes provide a more tangible metric. These days, it's not hard to find a slew of people shoveling cheap and crappy food into their faces while in a rush. Not that there's anything wrong with cheap food, excluding deep-fried chum from the neighborhood Bohangles, or eating on the fly, but it seems that many people have forgotten what it means to truly enjoy food, and moreover, what it means to cook, well or not. We have all become alienated from true cooking. I have Orwellian nightmares that humanity is losing touch with its human aspect, and that we're all regressing into culturalist beasts. So what does good cooking mean? Cooking is an integral part of culture, but sadly it's the most transient. Picasso's painting of Guernica will always be in Madrid, and there will forever be copies of Charles Dickens' works. Yet cooking must be learned, practiced, and appreciated. Recipes can vanish within generations if not passed along. Moreover, cooking was essential to the development of our species. Cuisine existed prior to language. It's what separates us from the beasts. I'm not going off on some Nietzsche-inspired tangent, but unlike wild animals, we have the capacity to enjoy food. So we cook. However, with all the humanity bullshit BS aside, we are ravenous animals. Food plays a primal role in the grand scheme of life, which basically boils down to eating and screwing. No wonder they complement each other so well. Nonetheless, we are ravenous animals with some compassion and some generosity. My grandma does not make pasta vajoli because she loves bust breaking a sweat in her elderly years but because she receives a vicarious rush of happiness when she sees me ask for more. That's what cooking is all about. When food tastes good, it's easy to act smug and describe it unintelligibly, like notes on the side of a wine bottle. Just follow Rachel Ray's lead. However, when food is truly good and honestly cooked, there are no words expressed. There are no notes of cinnamon or essence of black fruits, whatever that means. It's just pure, unadulterated emotion. Nostalgia. First love, guilt, or maybe absolute self-loathing. Ever eaten a street gyro? The taste is trivial. It's all about the personal disrespect, done ever so deliciously. That's what makes cooking an art. Cooking, us, 
Cooking provides us with a catharsis for comfort. We cook to express the subtle feelings that manifest themselves in our hunger. Along with booze, we naturally turn to food for some type of stability in the uncertainty. Good cooking is not the product of good intentions in the kitchen. Hell is full of good intentions, and bad ones too, like gourmet vegan cupcakes in my opinion. Cooking well is rather the respect of established recipes and techniques that have survived the trials of history, as well as a healthy dose of creativity to transcend the prescriptions of a traditional kitchen. And here's the point. Good cooking can be found all over the place, whether it be in some Michelin-rated restaurant or from the comal of a dodgy taqueria. So what does all of this mean? Honestly, after rambling, I really don't know, and I won't pretend to. Who cares anymore? I'm hungry. Well, to use a food word, Mark, well done. Thank you. And just a reminder, the opinions expressed are those of the author, not WKNC Student Media or NCSU. The author was not paid or otherwise compensated for his review, although it really wasn't a review tonight. But WKNC does not endorse any specific establishment in reviews and takes no responsibility for what you do with the information. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. Well, it's time for sports here on Eye on the Triangle. I'm joined, as always, by our good friend from Technician, Tyler Everett. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Well, could be better, and I think that could be said for a lot of Wolfpack fans. I was really excited. I got my ticket to the game on Saturday and was really happy for most of the game. And, uh... Well, just walk us through what happened from your perspective. Uh, a wonderful 16 minutes, a beautiful first 16 minutes. State came out dominant. The hurry-up offense had Virginia Tech on its heels. The Hokies were borderline powerless, really. State marched up and down the field a couple of times. Interception thrown in there. and Before you knew it, it was 17 nothing. The question wasn't if State was going to win. It, it was kind of maybe how much they were going to win by. After getting up 17, I believe State punted. Virginia Tech punted. They traded some series, but then State got the ball again. A 49-yard run by Mustafa Green. State was on the Virginia Tech 43. Attempted a reverse to T.J. Graham. It looked like he had nothing but green grass in front of him, and he actually fumbled the ball for a seven-yard loss. So instead of what could have maybe potentially been a touchdown or put us in field goal range, it's hard to say what he would have done if he turned that corner. But he's got kicker turner speed. He had great blocks in front of him, a lot of room. Looked like that could have been six and 24 nothing. Instead, uh, several plays later, Russell Wilson threw an interception, one of two in the first half, three on the game, all to Virginia Tech corner J-Rod Hosley, who won a couple of uh, awards this week for his performance and taking three picks away from NC State in the offense. So, um, so yeah, the, the 17-0 lead, State couldn't quite pad it. Virginia Tech got a quick touchdown before the end of the half. Tyrod Taylor had a 71-yard run that drive. That was pretty much the whole drive. He didn't actually score on it. A couple plays later, they punched it in from about the five. I believe Taylor threw a touchdown pass to Andre Smith. They're tight end. Um, State went into the half up 17-7 still. You know, a 10-point lead could have been more. Against teams like Virginia Tech, you kind of have a sneaking suspicion. Maybe maybe they blew it, you know, had the foot on the had their foot on Virginia Tech's throat, had Virginia Tech back into a corner, whatever you want to say, didn't finish them. And sure enough, very first play of the second half, Virginia Tech runs a kickoff back, missed the extra point, but still 17-13 game on. State's you know up, but they're not running a strategy where they're up. They can't just run the ball and play decent defense and hang on. You know, up four with a whole half, it's a, it's pretty much a tie ball game at that point. And Virginia Tech, 
asserted its will. They won. They they beat State uh, up and down the field a little bit that second half. They scored 34 second half points, including that kickoff return. They also had a late touchdown, which you know you take those two out. That's still 21 second half points after only seven in the first half. So the defense had trouble. Um, the offense, you know, they scored 17 points in the early going in the first 16 minutes. Over the final 44, they only scored. 13 more points so you know you can't you can't fault 30 points against Virginia Tech but when you get off to a 17 nothing lead and end up with 30 that's not quite keeping pace by any means from my untrained perspective it seemed like there might have been two things going on uh, state's offense cooling off a bit and Virginia Tech's defense just demonstrating how adaptable they were um, you know they just looked so helpless out there in that first quarter and then by the fourth quarter you really saw who was calling the shots yeah I think you I think you saw State come out and, and put Virginia Tech on their heels. Like I said, the two-minute offense, Russell throws the ball as well as anybody. And early in the game, I think Virginia Tech was kind of like, wow. You know, State was flying up and down the field. They got their feet underneath them a little bit. They were able to stop the run with only seven guys in the box so they could play their base defense. Not only could they play their base defense, for Russell Wilson ended up throwing the ball 49 times. The running game never really was reliable. Mustafa Green had 91 yards, but he had a 49-yard run. Another big run or two. So so a couple plays in the running game were there, but by and large, State didn't run the ball well. They owned, they gained less than 150 yards, which when you're a passing team isn't bad, but it wasn't quite balanced enough, and what happened all second half was Virginia Tech knew Russell Wilson was dropping back to pass, and they blitzed him like madmen, and he had no time. He was running for his life. He still completed several passes, but he wasn't comfortable. Um, he wasn't... He was, like John said, he wasn't dictating. Virginia Tech was, was coming after him, and, and State was trying to scramble away, and they had to throw down the field instead of um, the normal rhythm they would be in, looking short within the uh, within the normal mechanisms of the offense. So this morning in the paper, your commentary, Tyler, it reads, The Silver Lining. Uh, tell us about The Silver Lining. Uh, just to elaborate a little bit, I was as disgusted as anybody um, you know, a 4-0 record, a great chance to go 5-0 even before the game started. That chance is all the better when you're up 17 nothing with the ball in their territory, a chance to score. You don't score there. They get a little bit back into it, end up virtually pulling away by the end of the game, 41-30. So, I mean, the things to be disappointed about are obvious. However, Virginia Tech is a really, really good team. They lost to James Madison. Everybody said, oh, they're down, they're nothing. They're two and the they're now three and two, but so they got the one loss to James Madison, which I'm going to wipe out as a fluke. Stuff like that happens, you know. Teams lose the teams they shouldn't because they didn't show up that day. I wouldn't judge Virginia Tech by that game. The week before, they played Boise State in a toss up. You play a team like Boise State in a toss up, that shows that you're on their level. This is a Boise team that's probably going to be in the national that whether people like it or not is either going to be in the national championship or is going to be a team in contention for it. As good as anybody around, and Virginia Tech gave them all they wanted, just didn't quite pull it out. So this is a top-flight team, one of the most athletic quarterbacks you're going to see. Talked to Nate Irving today. He called Tyrod Taylor one of the three best players he's ever played against, I believe. They had a stud quarterback who ran wild, had one of his best rushing afternoons of his career. Everybody knows how they play defense in Blacksburg. When you turn the ball over against a team with all that going for it, that's bad. That That's trouble right there. Turnovers, you know, we lost a turnover battle 3-1. to one. You also give up a non-offensive touchdown in that kickoff return. That's a recipe for a blowout right there. You lose the turnover battle to a good team. You give up a non-offensive touchdown to a good team. 
a lot of teams would have lost big time, and State was still in it. They they had more first downs than Virginia Tech. And the bottom line is, if Russell Wilson doesn't throw that pick at the end of the game and he drives them down, all the rushing yards Virginia Tech got, the early, the other picks Russell Wilson had, nobody's talking about that. They're talking about a win. State had the ball on their 11. Granted, not good field position, but they had three timeouts. They had plenty of time. They've they've scored in far more difficult predicaments. They were in a good position to win this game at the end. They didn't, which is disappointing, especially when you get off to that lead. But the fact that State played that close, even on a day when that many things went wrong, shows you that you know if State's halfway on its level, it can beat, if not blow out, almost anybody on its schedule. So we have a little bit of perspective now. It's October. A lot of teams don't really show up until October. Uh, five games under the belt for State. You said, let's not judge Virginia Tech by James Madison. What game would you hope that people would judge the Wolfpack by? The game I would hope people would judge State by would be Georgia Tech. That's the ACC champion a year ago, the 2009 ACC champ. And State, as far as I'm concerned, dominated that game. 45-28 kind of speaks to it, but State missed two field goals, had another couple trips in the red zone in Atlanta, didn't turn out. You know That game should have, in my mind, should have at least been 54-28, to if not worse. Um, big win there, but Georgia Tech's not the team they were in 2009. I don't want people, I mean, it's not fair to go too much by that, because who is Georgia Tech this year? They lost to a Kansas team that has done nothing. Um, Georgia Tech very well might be at the bottom of the ACC or the middle, so it's hard to say. Um, Um, So we've dropped out of the rankings for the time being. There's still certainly some hope to get back in there. Certainly. um, State's got two games coming up against B.C., and ECU, they're going to be predicted to win those games. I don't think a win over a Boston College team that hasn't beaten an FCA, uh, FBS foe, excuse me, I don't think that's going to put us in the rankings. I don't think a win over an ECU team, even as tough as ECU is out of CUSA, is going to put us back in the rankings. But beat BC and ECU, come home for that Florida State game. There's going to be a ton on the line. State beats Florida State that night. You can bet they're probably ranked higher than they were. Six and one is not seven and zero, oh, but six and one would look phenomenal for this team. And in all, that's, that's in all bowl honesty, right there. Oh, that's more than bowl. I mean, that's bowl eligible with several games left to play. You know, four and one states not quite to the halfway point. You think they take care of business against BC? Five and one, twelve game season. Five and one on pace for a ten win season. I mean, that that's easy to say. You know, if you win one game, okay, you're on pace to win all twelve. You got to. Be careful going too much by saying somebody's on pace to do this or that. But And a lot of people thought the first half of the schedule was harder. I mean, some of these teams on that first half might not have been what they were supposed to be, but with Cincinnati, who won the Big East last year, won the Big East the past two years, you beat them, you go on the road to Georgia Tech, who, you know, you you early in the season, the best team in the conference is the team that won it the year ago. State's beating them. Nearly beat Virginia Tech despite a litany of things going wrong. There's a ton to be encouraged about, and really only two teams on this schedule, I think, that State should have any business being um, the underdog against, and that would be Florida State and Clemson. And the Florida State game at home on Thursday night, you can't call them prohibitive favorites by any means, not with the atmosphere that's going to be at Carter-Finley. The Seminoles are going to be lucky to get out of Carter-Finley with a win that night. Well, that's that's what helps put some of the disappointment out in my mind is looking ahead at the schedule and saying okay there's still plenty of opportunities to make this up although even you just mentioned clemson clemson suffered a little bit of a disappointment this weekend against miami clemson's clemson's a good team they're expected to be good but they've played two good teams and lost both of them lost fairly close games lost to auburn a a strong sec team i i have no idea what would happen if state played auburn i honestly don't see us pulling that out the sec's brutal 
But um, and then they lost to Miami. So as far as I'm concerned, Clemson's played two teams a note. I might be missing one that they've played and I've forgotten about. But they've lost both their big games. They've certainly got talent. That's going to be no cupcake going down to to Clemson in November is going to be a huge game, a tough game, but absolutely no reason State can't win it. And another thing, when you start looking at standings, and it might be too early, especially if State can't hang on to the ball and do better in the red zone, but um, in conference play, one and one yes, both games have been out of State's division, the Atlantic division. They've played Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, who are in the coastal, and when it comes down to it, um, State's, State's got six conference games left, Five of five of those are against the other, you know, it's a six-team Atlantic division. State plays all five of those teams as the season goes on. They run the table there. They win the Atlantic division. They get a chance for a rematch against Virginia Tech. They can take care of the ball, show what should have happened, or they can take on Miami, the one team in the ACC I think State would not stack up too well against. And, and, and we could find out exactly how State would stack up with the Canes if they could get to Charlotte. It sounds like that would be a really intensive uh, November schedule. Then now we haven't taken a look at the standings in a little while, but uh, one of the things that surprised me is uh, Maryland up there at four and one. However, looking at their schedule, does not look like they've had some fierce opposition aside from West Virginia. Yeah, Maryland. I mean, Navy's a solid team. They they've uh, definitely beaten some teams over the years. That the discipline they've got there gives some people trouble, but that's certainly not a noteworthy win. Uh, defeating Morgan State is not going to strike fear in anybody on the Terrapin schedule. Florida International, not a very good team. A win over Duke, I think, is a bigger win than people might give the Terrapins credit for. We saw what Duke did to State last year. They lost some folks, but I don't think Duke is as bad as they get credit for. But, Duke's still sitting there yeah. at one and four. Yeah, but the record speaks for itself. And and like John said, you know, Maryland's played really one reputable opponent. And they lost by two touchdowns. So so why not? Why not? I mean, there's no reason State doesn't have a a, a great chance in that game. And uh, I don't even know. Did we mention ECU? ECU ECU is an interesting team. They're gonna they're gonna air it out. And based on what this team did last year, you know that 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 could make you nervous. It's an interstate rivalry game. Going to Greenville is a tough place to play. Those fans are nuts down there. They're excited. They've got a new coach. Even though. Uh, their previous coach, Holtz, was certainly beloved. I think they were sad to see him go. They've got a new coach in from Texas Tech. He brings that Texas Tech mentality, that you know, throw it all over the yard kind of attitude, and, and that's got to make you a little nervous. But on the other hand, State played really tremendously against Cincinnati, a team that nearly knocked off Oklahoma a week later. Played well against Virginia Tech's Tyrod Taylor. Taylor made a couple plays in the passing game, but he beat State mostly on broken plays. Some of them might have been draws that I thought were broken plays. But I essentially thought what Tyrod Taylor did was just run everywhere. And, and it's tough to defend the run on passing plays. And I don't know how many more quarterback states going to see like that. You know, it, it, when they play passing teams in the future, the quarterback's going to drop back to pass and he's going to throw it. And the blitz can get there and the secondary can be ready. You don't have this wild animal type of a type of a deal to deal with in, in a guy like Tyrod Taylor. Well, we'll have to see what ECU can do with 4-1 and one Southern Miss on Saturday in anticipation of the next game. Uh, what are you going to be watching for on Saturday with Boston College? With Boston College, they're a team I honestly don't know too much about. Their running back had the game of his life last year against NC State, 264 yards and five touchdowns, helped BC take down State 52-20, one of the worst losses of the year last year, if not of O'Brien's tenure. 
He's back. I believe he had less than 30 yards last week against Notre Dame, so maybe the line's not blocking for him. BC's got some issues at the quarterback position going into the, uh, their game against Notre Dame last week, which they lost 31-13. to They benched Dave Shinsky, kind of a Chris Winkie type, an older guy that played baseball for a while and took over as a starter. He struggled against Virginia Tech when BC was shut out. They benched him in favor of Chase Reddick, a true freshman who came in against Notre Dame and went three and out his first three series, then threw a touchdown, but then was injured early in the second quarter. And uh, he gave way to Mike Marscovitra. I hope I didn't butcher that name too bad, but that's who played the bulk of the uh, Notre Dame game with moderate success. I believe he completed 22 of 37 for about 200 yards, but no touchdowns, two picks, so... That was his first extensive action of his career. I think he's got 50 pass attempts in his whole time at BC. So certainly not a quarterback that's going to strike fear in you. And the interesting thing, though, is it's only Tuesday. We don't know who's going to be calling, who who the signal caller will be for Boston College Saturday. They might put Shinsky back in. Reddick, the freshman, might be back and ready. Or or Marskovich might play again. So who knows exactly who State will be uh, pitted up against at the quarterback position for BC. So... What else going on in the world of NC State sport? I mean, there's a chill in the air. It's October. When are we going to start talking about basketball? Basketball's around the corner. It's going to be here soon. This time last year, a lot of folks had already turned their attention away from football towards basketball. Uh, Media day is the 15th. That's not a big day for fans, but that's a day for the reporters to finally get their hands on these true freshmen, hear what they have to say. Um you know, you can't say enough about the potential for this basketball team. Tracy Smith was the star last year. He was named to an award, a preseason award list, the John R. Wooden Award. He was one of 50 athletes named to that. Was a stud last year. That's no surprise. These preseason award lists, um, you're going to find him all over a number of those in the preseason. But um, Scott Wood coming back, I think, is, has the potential for a huge year. A lot of times last year he had people's best perimeter defender on him. That's no longer going to be the case with Harrow and Brown and Leslie here. Leslie not a perimeter player, but the defensive attention is not going to be on Wood as much as it was last year. He did well as a true freshman with that attention on him. As a sophomore with a year of experience and less attention, I think he could really take the ACC by storm and and go from a player that gets murmured about and dangerous shooter to really a a, a bona fide, big-time, 15-point-a-night kind of scoring threat. I just remembered how I felt after the uh, ACC tournament. So, uh, you know, it's my senior year. Uh, It sounds like things are going well in football. Hopefully they will continue to do so, and... Hopefully we'll have a good year in basketball too. Just get all get both sports. Yeah, right I where mean, they need to be for my senior year. Football. There's a lot of excitement right now that nobody thought would be here. I don't know too many Pac fans that would have even listened to you for a second if you told them they'd be four and one, and had had a letdown that has kept them from being five and zero. Oh. I mean, this team was not supposed to be this good. They struggled mightily last year. A lot of indications point to them having some serious difficulty again this year. Long way to go in the ACC. States won one conference game. They won two last year. But, you know, they won two of those very late in the year. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But State has by no means accomplished much yet. It just looks as though they have a good chance to. So keep that in mind. I guess it all depends on where you put the bar, whether the yeah. bar is set high or low. Yeah, but, I mean, I think a lot of folks looked at this year and said, you know, a bowl game was the goal. At this point right now, it would be an absolute catastrophe not to make a bowl. State's got its sights set on something much, much bigger than a mere bowl game. You know, the the trip to Charlotte some teams make and the ACC mediocre teams is for the Tire Bowl in December. The only thing State's thinking about Charlotte right now is for the ACC championship game, and that's extremely encouraging considering some of the things that were uh, – that were being said before this season. Let's hope we get there, and let's hope we get back on track on Saturday. Hopefully we'll come back with Tuesday. Undefeated in the division right now. Let's hope we have some more good news to talk about. Thanks for joining us. Tyler Everett from Technician.
Thank you guys for listening. Welcome back to On the Triangle. I'm John Boyer. The time is now 7.50. You can get in touch with the program tweeting WKNCEOT, WKNC881, email publicaffairs at WKNC.org, or check us out on Facebook for Eye on the Triangle. We have about 10 minutes now of open discussion. It's not something we always get to do here on the program, so that's a little exciting, and we do have some things to talk about tonight. An issue just broke this afternoon, uh, sort of on the topic of Evan's editorial from earlier, Let's go right over to Evan, and he'll explain what's going on. All right. Well, before I left and came this evening, a late-breaking piece of news from the News and Observer came across my my computer screen. Um, State Rep. Larry Brown, he's a Republican from Kernersville, running unopposed in this in this uh, election, has been caught sending emails, or one email in particular, referring to gays as queers and Fruit Loops. He was responding to an email sent by House Minority Leader Paul Stamm of Apex to members of his caucus about Speaker Joe Hackney, a Democrat, getting an award from the Equality in C Foundation, a gay rights advocacy organization. The email was sent out to nearly 60 email addresses, and he is quoted as saying, I hope all the queers are thrilled to see him. And... Also quoted as saying, I am sure there will be a couple of legislative Fruit Loops there in the audience. Hmm. You don't do that. <laughs> Candidates getting in trouble for saying things. Uh, Carl Palladino in New York said some terrible things through emails, and he's the Republican nominee for governor. The thing that's distressing to me about this situation with Larry Brown, and I will opine, opine here for a second. I normally don't do that as host, but uh, the News and Observer goes on to mention that he is running unopposed this fall that's right. for his House seat. So if there are constituents in his district who disagree with what he just did, you know, what recourse do they have? Either not vote, which is a bad option, but really none. I might, I, I might as well just go ahead and just... Verbal disclaimer again, because we we will be discussing things here that are are not of an unbiased nature. The opinions expressed by the hosts here in the studio tonight, that's myself, John, Evan, Chris, and Mark, are the opinions of ourselves, not WKNC, Student Media, or NC State. That said, I'll open it up to everybody. What's going on here? I Honestly, I think, uh, and this is just coming from me, I feel like the Republicans, they've been very... um, angry and they've been voicing their rage and the thing is you know they're they're coming up with uh pretty much everything that they can do to slander um the opposition and pretty much what we've seen so far is the republicans they haven't been able to offer any good solutions or viable um what's the word i want to use i don't know just uh you know second things to to consider, so they're throwing out these cultural issues to to get people mad. Um, that's, I mean, that's what Jesse Helms did. He was a racist, right? And but I, I think this is indicative of something slightly more nefarious, and that this wasn't published in any kind of a press statement. It's it's something rather insidious that's going on behind, or suggestive of something rather insidious inherent within the Republican Party. And not even it's not even like it would be an excuse in the first place, but it's not even like this is about one of the, the keystone issues when it comes to gay rights, like gay marriage or something. We're, 
well, it's, it's just it's just yeah. everyday dialogue going yeah. on between so, these people, and they're they're our legislators. They're representing us. It reflects a larger picture of our whole culture, which is that it's okay to when you're communicating with someone who uh, is not going to call you on something that you can use language that would be offensive otherwise. I mean, I don't think I go around like using bad words uh, when I'm talking to someone that I, I consider a colleague most of the time, or at least using things that might not be necessarily like considered slurs. And I think that the legislature should be uh, held to the same standard. Well, I hold people to a higher standard, I think. I, th- I call that two-facedness. I would. <laughs> I I'm interested so. to see where this goes. Uh, is this going to drop out of the news tomorrow, or is somebody well, going to demand think, an apology, hopefully? Well, I demand an apology. I, I want an apology. I think these days, uh, people in high office, they, they better watch their mouths, whether it's uh, being recorded or not. Because if you look at uh, what happened over the summer with um, General Stan- Stanley McChrystal, right. I mean, he was just talking and talking in front of that journal from the Rolling Stones and um, it, it, it came to bite him in the, in the you know what. Mm-hmm. Well, us. again, that was because <laughs> that he thought it was off the record. And the point is, it's not necessarily okay when you're off the record to be crass or rude or offensive, and that for that matter, just because you don't think anybody is watching. Right. I, and I think in this situation, it was willfully offensive. I, there are other ways to refer to gay people, lesbian people, uh, there are uh, uh, transgendered people and bisexual people. Fruit Loops is not the way you do that. No, that's a brand of cereal. I think that's that's offensive. Just just whenever I I hear about any kind of person in any position of power rambling on about how nef- how nefarious and insidious gays are in pushing their agenda. I, I, I think of a quote from one of my favorite authors, and it goes like this. Whenever I hear some big mouth in Washington or the Christian heartland banging on about the evils of sodomy or whatever, I mentally enter his name into my notebook and contentedly set my watch. Sooner rather than later, he will be discovered down on his weary and well-worn old knees in some dreary motel or latrine with an expired visa card, having tried to pay well over the odds to be peed upon by some Apache transvestite. Christopher Hitchens. Right. Yes. Um, well, I think th- for the ages. this also uh, brings up a bigger picture, which is that um, the election season is in full swing, and I feel like people aren't paying attention. That's true. That's something we'd like to cover in the coming weeks. And also, just on the previous topic, I've, I've decided, based on just the prevalence with which it is in the news... Uh, that next week's topic will involve some interviews and stories on the topic of gay rights and equality. Uh, In the 1960s, think about the civil rights movement. It was no more visible anywhere than on college campuses. And I think the same can be said today when it comes to the modern gay rights movement in that when you look at the news, uh, some of the biggest issues and controversies pertaining all aspects of the gay experience are, are at college campuses. You know, we have the tragic case of Tyler Clementi at Rutgers um, facing possible, uh, uh, well, the point is uh, there, there's the University of Michigan student body president uh, being picked on by the state attorney general assistant. Uh, earlier in the year, the attorney general of Virginia causing trouble on college campuses up there, college Republicans at Duke University 
ousting their leader and then later losing. Right. Yeah. Uh, the imbroglio here just a few weeks ago, you know, nowhere near the same magnitude, but it's, it's a hot button issue for people. And as if it were perfect timing, uh, next week, October 12th, Lieutenant Dan Choi, a very prominent figure, uh, released from the military after lots of service, an interpreter. Fired. Uh, Arabic translator, fired, yes, um, for being gay. Uh, and he announced that on the Rachel Maddow show, I believe, last year. And uh, in, in the intervening time, he's been touring the country trying to wait, raise awareness when it comes to don't ask, don't tell. And uh, to continue the national conversation and engage the NC State community on the discriminatory policy, uh, the Issues and Ideas Committee will host Lieutenant Dan Choi on October 12th at Stewart Theater at 730 uh, this event is sponsored by Union Activities Board and the GLBT Center here on campus. And there's a Facebook group for it if you want to find out more information. So uh, lots of things we can talk about next week and things hopefully we will have the opportunity to talk about. Oh, and by the way, Diane Reem will be on campus, one of my personally favorite NPR personalities. She will be uh, giving a talk about her new book about her and her Chihuahua Maxine at the Tally Student Center's Stewart Theater on October 7th at 7.30 p.m. It is presented by the Friends of the Library. Is the Chihuahua coming? I don't know, but I would hope so. Uh, Diane That's... is a very busy lady, so I'm sure she keeps her Chihuahua on the go. That's funny. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd expect Diane Reem to have maybe like a... A different dog, like, like a Bichon, Rottweiler, or, yeah, yeah. or something, yeah, something different than a Chihuahua. I think I can imagine Hillary Duff with a Chihuahua. Yeah, she's very picture. fierce on air. You'd think that she'd be like fierce in her life with like her big Doberman and yeah, his big. I don't chain. know. I always, I always pictured a big white fluffy Persian cat. Yeah, yeah, I could see that because yeah, she like is very up, delicate. While she's, you know, even though she's interviewing. Crash. Well, I wonder what the people out there listening would think that we have as pets. I. Call us at what's the number, John? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, actually, because we we just hit eight o'clock. The clock just broke eight, so unfortunately, it's time for us to wrap it up. But I will get to that. And uh, thank you for listening tonight. By the and, way, uh, oh, by the yes, way, if ahead, you um, if you ever are not able to come to the phone and perhaps are a letter writer and you would like to contact us via the uh, snail mail. You can send us a uh, letter at WKNC 88.1 FM. Attention, Public Affairs Director, Campus Box 8607, 343 Witherspoon Student Center, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27695. So if you write letters a lot, we would love to hear from you. Well, thanks for that, Chris. I think I'll write a letter. Oh, please do. I'd love to read it. Uh, the letterbox is actually full right now. and. Uh, before I say anything that will get me in trouble about letter writers, but thank you for listening out there. Please join us next week, and uh, we do like hearing from you and some other ways you can get in touch with us with any questions, comments, suggestions, story ideas, complaints, or issues you have. Keep in touch uh, on Twitter, as I mentioned, WKNCEOT or WKNC881, and that's where you can also get advance notice about what our show topics are or suggest one yourself. Facebook, on the Triangle Public Affairs at WKNC.org. Our voicemail feedback line, which Chris mentioned, is 919-628-0869. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast of this program through iTunes. 
Big thanks to our guests tonight, Lauren Morris and all of our Soundbites interviewees. For my producer, Chris Chaffee, our polemic freedom fighter, Evan Garris, correspondents Jacob Downey, Mason Morris, and Tom Anderson, sportscasters Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber, Master Chef Mark Herring, I'm your host and public affairs director, John Boyer. Have a great night. Join us next time for more Eye on the Triangle. Please stay tuned for After Hours.